Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Thank you for listening to Spin, the rally pod, brought to you by Dirtfish Rally School. For your chance to experience life behind the wheel of a rally car, head to drive.dirtfish.com to find the course that's right for you. What are you waiting for? We're right here waiting for you. Welcome to another scintillating edition of Spin the Rally Pod. I'm David Evans and I have with me the fabulous pairing of former sporting director George Donaldson and uh, what are you now, James? We changed your job title, didn't we? You're now Rally's editor. Is that right? Is that right? Okay, I'll take it if you're offering it, David. Thank you very much. I think I, we discussed that before Christmas. It's been a very busy time here at Dirtfish, and and obviously things have been changing. We've had a we've got a new head of content in now. Very excited to have Alistair Lindsay back with us, uh, and you will everybody will be meeting Al- Alistair starting on the pod next week. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> sorry, perhaps we didn't formalise that. Well, let's consider that formalised. Welcome to our new rallies editor, James Bowen. <laughs> Sorry, Hello, James. David. <laughs> and what we're going to talk about this week <clears throat> is very, very exciting because the season is up and running. Uh, we are recording on Friday because we have a super busy Monday, Tuesday where we can't uh, manage to fit the pod recording in early next week. The season by the time you're listening to this, the season will have begun because obviously Yana Rally um, is this weekend. Uh, great story from Alistair on there on dirtfish.com. Tune in. Don't tune in, but have a read of that. It's it's a fascinating tale. Uh, but the season has started. Colin, we're going to hear from Colin later. Colin is out uh, in Saudi Arabia for Dakar. But really, for, for hardcore WRC fans, the season starts with Monte Carlo testing. Uh, and in some ways, this is one of the quirks of our sport, is that see, the season usually starts almost before the year is finished because ordinarily we would have seen cars in, in the Alps last year in December doing some pre-Christmas running. But the new testing regulations are very, very tight. They only offer um, one day per driver per event. So there's no scope for going and doing a week's running. Um, in, in the Alps, just to feel the car setup and what have you. But the, the reason, one of the main reasons um, that George is here, George is always here. George is very, very welcome. He's, he's a fabulous <laughs> voice. But um, one of the, the, the points here, George, is to basically for you to tell us more um, about what your memories were from from actually testing in Monty. Firstly, right. when, when, well, was your, when was your first Monty test? What was your first memory? My first Monte test must have been 1989, which was the first year for TTE. Was it, or was it 88? 88. When did we start? I think it was 88, wasn't it? No, no, we. I, th- I thought, did we, was it Monte Carlo 88? Mi- Carlos Sainz, is that correct? He, he went off on, uh, he went off on, um, on the, oh, what was the name of the stage? Um, just down there below Gap, actually. 
I can get that name in a second. It wasn't Sister on. It was Sister on. It was actually, of course, it was Sister on. Yeah. yeah. But the rally started. The rally started for us in, uh, for me, it started up in Germany. It, absolutely, absolutely amazing. And we ran, we ran the 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 road section. You know the, the what did they call it? The concentration road. Yeah. Right. And and that was that was amazing. And you'd had no idea when a car was going to arrive. You just parked in the right place with a big Toyota van. And a rally car arrived with you. You filled it up with fuel, gave the drivers a cup of coffee if they wanted it, and they continued on their way. Where were, where would that have been? Rally cars weren't warm. Was it Berlin or <clears throat> Munich or? No, no, it was uh, uh, down near Munich somewhere, uh, some, somewhere between Cologne and Munich. I'm just trying to remember the name of the. There place. was bad. Was it bad Homburg? Bad Homburg, bad Homburg. Thank you, David. Bad Homburg is exactly where it I, was. I, I've got to say, George, I never knew where that place was, but they, I only remember because the, the the cars always ran with their their concentration run start point. That's correct. On the door yes. plate, didn't yeah. they? And I always remember a big, a big door plate. Yeah. Seeing yeah, that and thinking, thing. well, I wonder where that is. So now we know. Yeah. So bad, bad Homburg. It was down south of. Was it Saarbrücken somewhere down there? I'm not quite sure where, where Bad Homburg... I apologise to all those people from Bad Homburg. But I remember it was quite snowy to get there. It was quite a trick to, to be in the in, to, to be in the right place. But then it all cleared. So, but I remember do, going to scrutineering. But what was it like, George? Thing. Did you scrutineer in Bad Homburg? Or did, you know, was it yes, just... Yes, yes. I mean, that's... Scrutineering was just done by German scrutineers. Um, no FIA presence at all. I think the FIA... Scrutineer was probably in Italy, um, uh, making sure that the 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 Lanciers were being allowed to do what they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, but Ooh, it, but contentious what, stuff. But what did it mean, George? I mean, did, was there a huge start um, ramp, and then was there a prescribed uh, route down to to, to Monaco? It, I remember, I remember it was. I think it was somewhere in the town centre. I remember we were in a hotel, and the start was very close to that. And it was it was it was kind of almost like a club rally affair more than anything else, but quite a lot of people there, and it was a lovely atmosphere. But of course, the feeling was that you just wanted to get on with it and mm. get driving because there was no. It was just a, a section that you had to drive. There were a few, a few um, passage controls, lots of passage controls where you had to go into particular towns, and the the towns would have a little ramp set up, and you would get a signature on a some sort of time card to say you were there mm. and and then you went on your way um so but not the, strict timing was, you you weren't you'd... no no the, the, bizarre, the, i remember it? being i remember being down uh in fact where we crossed the uh, the border into uh we were at trier i was my first so i'd done bad homburg start and the cars had to go away and do a loop somewhere so i, I actually i don't think i stayed for the start but i remember being at trier and the cars came about an hour earlier than we expected. We were kipping in the van when they arrived. <laughs> and it was uh, it, it was the, the, <clears throat> the crew, the actual start crew that drove the cars. You know, you couldn't have engineers oh, yeah, on the camera. Oh, yeah, it was, it was Carlos, and, uh, Carlos and Lewis, uh, Bjorn and Fred. And I can't remember who the third car was, actually. Who was the third car? Uh, was it? It would be in a, one of the Ericsons, would it? Kenneth? Ken, Kenneth, Kenneth Ericsson, it would have been exactly Kenneth Ericsson. Yeah. So I, I've, uh, I've got, just to clear up a point from earlier, I did a little bit of Googling, uh, and the the Celica did start, of course, in 88, but it ran a part season, started in Safari, so our th- first full year was 89. 
So eight, you were right yes, first time, right? Monty, uh, eighty nine. Would you have gone out there 89. in in eighty eight just to have a look, to be aware of the event, or to do any preparation, or? Um, uh, myself, I hadn't done the recce on that one. I think I was probably, probably, still looking after. Uh, I'd been I'd have been involved in Kenya stuff. Yeah. So we'd have still been doing Kenya with the. Uh, Turbo Supra at that point, yeah. Turbo Turbo Supra, we yeah. we, we had used. Which so uh, we'd have been doing preparation for that. So I was probably out for that. I don't remember much of the pre stuff except I remember arriving in Cologne, jumping in a van with uh, Pat Cassidy, not Pat Cassidy, Pat O'Sullivan, and um, <coughs> and then uh, off we went, and uh, you know it was quite a few quite a few hours until we saw a hotel. Oh, yeah. I, I think I think we had the night in Bad Homburg, but then the next day, whether we were, I can't remember hanging around, but but I remember driving all the way down, and we all met up in well the rally the rally congregated at that year in was it is it San Etienne or something would it be that am I right saying that apologies for I think, my I lack think of you're right. preparedness I think you're right there, here tonight, David. So it's just south yeah. of Dijon uh, up there. Uh, I think well, it might it, it was either Valence or or up. up was it Sanity? I I think James Sanity? was about to jump in there with some geographical James, insight. James, jump in, sort me out. Yeah, sort me you're, out, you're right, George. It was Saint Etienne, and then the first few stages were up, were up yeah, that way. I think it was, and then and then but but our congregation point was Sisteron, and then of course that first day through the Ardèche, um, absolutely amazing. You know, just the most amazing stages up there. Um, um, yeah. Just oh, the names. I mean, I, I, I temporarily can't remember the names here. I'm, I'm obviously just getting demented now, in my old age. <laughs> so much information in there. But it, I've just come off the back of a very, very hectic day of work. So, I have to say. Sorry, uh, just uh, just to clear up, George. Bad Homburg. I've again done a little bit of uh, googling, a bit of research. Just it's yeah. just north of Frankfurt, uh, and then obviously yeah. Trier is 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 out to the west of there. But how bizarre yeah, that, but, that you would have stopped in Trier. Yeah. All those years ahead of, of Germany actually hosting a WRC yeah, yeah, round in yeah. Trier. And there was, there, I remember we were on the, the main street into Trier and, and uh, just parked in between trees. By the Black Gate? Making sure we were visible. Uh, I'm not quite sure where it was now. Right next to the river on the south side of the river anyway. Yeah. Um, not uh, on the motorway. And the, and the cars didn't use the motorways. They, they had to use the wee roads. You know, right. Um, so it was just it was just drive, 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 and it was a thousand kilometers. So they didn't, you know, it's not a thousand kilometers from from Bad Homburg to to San Etienne. It's probably only about maybe five or six hundred, maybe seven hundred. So you know, there's a lot looping around. So they did a loop in Germany, because like I said, it was it was. I mean, they they arrived with us way way maybe an hour and ninety minutes before we expected them, and then our next point was somewhere down, somewhere north of. Of um, of uh, Lyon somewhere, yeah. some little some little place, quite quite far off the road, um, uh, and I remember we, we got to that thinking, well, we got there about only about maybe an <coughs> two hours, maybe three hours before we we should have got there, and the cars were with us again an hour and a half, two hours early. It's it's one um, heck of a way to wake up, isn't it? When you're having a snooze in the is. back of the van it to is. have Mister Carlos Sainz yeah. arriving. Yeah. In a in a factory uh, they, they were cool. They, 
they were cool about it, but you can imagine the panicked look of terror and all the <laughs> on all us mechanics' faces. You know, you do not. The last thing you ever do is is keep uh, keep drivers waiting. But in reality, it was that was an unstressed situation. So, I'm, so I'm and it's a great in. shakedown for the cars. You know, a, th- a thousand kilometres yeah. on the road is is brilliant, and it's if a rally car can't do that, then quite frankly, you know, it's not fit for purpose. Well, I'm just trying well, to imagine those events anyway. That was for sure, George. If they reintroduce that today, I'm just trying to imagine what Sebastian Auger would have to say about a thousand kilometre road section before the rally even started. I don't think he'd yeah, be particularly yeah, they, pleased. They, <laughs> they would have, they, they, they're so much more highly paid now that they shouldn't be expected to do work. So, <laughs> Sorry, Seb. I hope he doesn't listen to this because he'll... Of course that's, he that's does. Not a, of course he does. That, that, oh, of course he does. Seb, I'm really sorry. That wasn't a personal slight. It was just a sort of joke. It was but like, it, take it lightly. It just, James, I mean, you just couldn't imagine it now, could you? I mean, you, the, 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 the Ferrari that was caused by the, by the Central European Rally route... Um, and and the fact that you yeah. know we're all about sustainability, James. It just it just yeah. wouldn't happen, would it? Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine it happening, David. Quite quite frankly, below. Uh, when when did they when did they stop doing it on the on the Monty? Can't have been too long after. Can't 89. remember the year it stopped. It was quite late on. I I um I remember still doing it in ninety five. Oh right. Uh, I can't remember doing it in ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. 96, 96 Monte Carlo I didn't do because that was the banned year from Toyota and we didn't send anybody to that. First time <laughs> we did that year was Sweden, so 90, 97. That was your year on a uh, naughty step. Yeah, and I think 97, I think we didn't bother doing it because we weren't doing a full championship year. So it was probably 98. So I think it was gone between 95 and 98. I don't, we, I'm pretty sure, did we? That- I think did it didn't. Do it? We, you know, you know, we might have done it in '98 because I remember. No, you did do it in '98. No, no, I was going to say, I remember. I remember Diddy. We used to always start Diddy down in France. We'd start, we'd start Juha up in Germany, and and I remember one year actually starting. Well, that was at '98. I started in in Turin, with 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 uh, Juha. Uh, Diddy started down in France, wherever it was they started from in France, or was it maybe Madrid? Maybe he went to Madrid, or or Barcelona, um, and and uh, at that time it was uh, Armin Schwartz, and he started from Bad Homburg. Yeah, so Madrid. So I mean, still that's, there in '95. But they, I, I was just going to say Madrid's a bit of a trek, but I, I have a recollection that they obviously they started in Glasgow. We know that, but they yeah. also started yeah. from Lisbon. I mean, they started from Russia, didn't they? I remember talking to Paddy Holtz. John Groats. John Groats. John Groats. But they started from uh, Moscow because I remember one year yes, they did. Paddy yeah. talking to Paddy Hopkirk about about starting the Monte Carlo from from Moscow in I don't know what it would have been mid sixties or something, and just the absolute terror. Uh, of, of driving through the USSR across all of the border checkpoints and and uh, Paddy told me a great story about when they were stopped uh, at one point and he said the 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 the, uh, the army always arrived with their guns and everything and he said you'd, they would open the door and you'd get out and he said we had a big uh, a big coat uh, across the back seat and the, and the obviously there was no English spoken no Russian spoken so very difficult to communicate yeah. and the guy was sort of pointing his gun at the at the coat. Uh, obviously expecting there to be a body or something under there. Um, oh, and and yeah. Paddy was like, no, 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 it's a tire. It's a spare tire. And the the army guy put his, the soldier put his hand under the coat 
and they, it was the spikes, and he cut his fingers on the on the spike, oh, down, no. which didn't go down well. Um, but yeah, oh, I mean that's Cho- that's chocolate required to remedy that. Chocolate or cigarettes, I would imagine. Yeah, but that yeah. that surely is the furthest. I mean, Moscow to to Monaco to Monaco is a, is a big old trek, isn't it? Interesting, interesting geographical fact coming up. Moscow's on the same latitude as Edinburgh and Glasgow. There you go. Oh wow! Wow. There you go. You see, you didn't realise that. that. It's a heck of a long way east. <laughs> it, it is. So let's fast forward to eighty nine yeah. then. And and George, what testing, preparing Toyota for its first Monte Carlo rally? What was that like? Well, as I said, I, I don't know if I was terribly much involved in that first one. I can't really recall. I suspect I was in Kenya. Sorry, uh, but, you did say that. Fast forwarding to nineteen ninety. I, 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 I do. Yeah, nineteen ninety. Um, 89, 90, 90, I think it was. Uh, yeah, I, I did the, um, I, I did the, the full recce stroke test with Armin Schwartz that year. And that was a, that was a tough year with Armin. Armin, uh, so I started, we started off with him on day one. We'd come down with a rally car on a trailer. He arrived with a higher car. I can't remember exactly where we met. It was probably in Valence and, and we, we started off in, in the Ardèche, and I, I do remember that first day, about six o'clock in the evening. Armin saying to us, "We know well. I know when when can we recce till? We know when can we stop?" And we said, "Well, look, um, we uh, we we can we can go as long as we'd like to have dinner hmm. uh, at a reasonable hour before before dinner's not available." So there was a bit of a discussion about that, and we were up there in the Ardèche. We found this lovely little restaurant, and I remember having the most amazing dinner in there with Armin. When we came out, it was blowing a blizzard, and we're sort of thinking, "Well, that's the you know that's the recce finish." But no, no, Armin wanted to go and do uh, San Lo- San Bonnet Le Foy, oh, wow. blowing a blizzard, and it, and he he proceeded to continue. So we came out from dinner maybe at nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. And we got back to the hotel about four o'clock in the morning for a seven o'clock start the next day and a rally car to re-prepare. All rallying, one source. By now, you know that dirtfish.com is the place to go for all of your rallying news. But when it's time to try your hand behind the wheel, just join us here at Dirtfish Rally School, nestled in the Cascade Mountains in Snoqualmie, Washington. Whether you're a pro seeking extra seat time or a novice looking to get started, We've got programs tailored to all rallying needs. And when you want to watch the best in the world, just head over to our YouTube channel. Our coverage of the WRC and American rallying is second to none. Follow us at Dirtfish Rally across all social media platforms and shop the latest looks in our merchandise store now. As always, rally on. It was always worth getting out and, yeah. and wrecking when the snow came, oh, when the yeah. blizzards came, because quite possibly it was going to be the same uh, uh, as the conditions you get on the event. And and that does... An element, an element of that, yes. It, and it does... Absolutely. It doesn't change the way you write your notes, but mm. it, it brings a certain perspective, doesn't it? Totally does. I mean, that that recce I did with uh, with Pat O'Sullivan, uh, basically, basically, we decided we wouldn't be defeated by Armin, and Armin was looking to drive, you know... 18 to 20 hours a day mm. and then we had to work on the car on top of that including a few breakdowns and recover the car from calls etc um and and all the time we were pulling a trailer with his hire car on it because we were basically moving hotel every night 
Um, so it was quite it was quite a deal. We must have gone round the route three times. We were up and down to Monaco three times that year, backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. Armin would have done, I don't know, eight, nine, ten passes on each stage. We were there for it must have been three and a half weeks. Wow, wow, that's incredible! And we isn't were it? doing eighteen. We, we were having to. Fi- we were filling up. We we must have had maybe three hundred liters of fuel in cans, and then we had a two hundred liter fuel tank in the van, which we regularly pulled out of to keep the to keep the rally car going. It had a mildly detuned engine. It was probably about. It was a Group A car. Uh, it was probably it was, it was a B spec engine. It was probably down about thirty or forty horsepower from the real thing, and we ran on race tires. Seriously, so if the sun came out, mm-hmm. you were put on on slicks. Yep, yep, absolutely, all tolerated and all accepted. But still, open road wrecky though. It was absolutely open road wrecky. Later on, in the, in the, in the, you know a few years later, when Armin was uh, in the team again. Uh, with the with the, the later marks of Celica's with 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 um, uh, Didier and Yuha, uh, they'd quite often wreck you together. Well, even that year, I even remember it must have been nineteen ninety one. I remember wrecking together with Carlos. So it was Carlos and Armin, and that was the first year that Group A recce was not allowed. But you could still test during the recce. So we had test cars with us. So we had recce cars and test cars. Oh my goodness! So they would recce all day, and then they would go and test. And there was no limit where you could test. I think, but I remember, I remember we'd only would only take the test cars out at night. <laughs> <laughs> but like when they like you know, and 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 you know, if if you know, we didn't start doing it, but we saw everyone else doing it. So the of course our drivers just followed suit. Yeah. You know, there there there's Mark there's Marco out driving a Lancia Delta Integrale at night over the stages. Okay, fine. Everyone, everyone knew what was being done, and that was what was done. It was absolutely the norm. It was a different time, and different time re- regarding regulations, etc. Yeah. So yeah, um, it, was. Uh, it 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 was just how it was. So um, it, it it I wouldn't say it was. It certainly wasn't cheating. It was taking advantage of slack regulations. Yes, uh, repercussion free. Yes, everybody was doing it. You know, mm. Mazda were doing it, Lancia were doing it, Ford were doing it, everyone was doing it. But I, I remember so, that that <clears throat> the what would it, it obviously it would have been the, the eighty six Monty when the, I obviously don't remember it at the time, but the stories about Toivonen coming in, I think it was Toivonen and Salonen were fighting for for the lead, um, and mm. Toivonen came into to Monaco. Uh, obviously for the Altmara team stages over the Torini and that kind of stuff they all came yep. back into Monaco quite late everybody went off to bed um, ahead of the final leg and he went into the stages he went he got into the recce yep. car and went in the middle of the rally and went and wow. did another recce yep. I mean that is, yep. the commitment there is is enormous but it's just it's another world from from what we have today isn't it it is absolutely another world, and I mean that was that was normal. I remember Bjorn sharing Bjorn Waldegard sharing a story uh, when I was when I was uh, young and wide-eyed, mm. telling us about his first Monte Carlo rally with Porsche. Yeah. Um, um, and when he arrived in Monte Carlo during the the rally, he, he you know back to the hotel, and a mechanic came and and found him and said, uh, "This is the key to your uh, to your car, Mister Waldegard." He said, oh, "What car is that?" 
your Ricky car to go and check the stages for tonight. So they'd obviously arrived in overnight in the morning. You then got a day off and you went off up into into the, the hills at night. And Bjorn jumped into his Porsche, um, his Porsche 911. And um, I can't, I don't know who was navigating for him. It might have been, it might have been Arna. Uh, not Arna, but it would be uh, Hans Tercelli is probably still at that point. And, and um, off they went into the mountains and um, and, and tested. I, I mean, it's, and, oh, wrecked, wrecked as it were. It, then it is just remarkable to see how far we've come. And, and less cars, less cars on the road. That was in the late sixties, I guess, when uh, when when Bjorn did that. Yeah. And I remember him saying that all the all the drivers of the time ridiculing him, saying, "Yeah, well, you know, your first Monte Carlo, young Swede." You're here to learn. Don't worry. You watch us. You'll be surprised at the pace. But you know, if you if you stick at it, you might catch us. And I think did Bjorn win that event? I think he won his first his first uh, Monte Carlo in a Porsche. Yeah, I. You'd have to look that one up. I, get on the get onto our favourite website, David. <laughs> get on. To, I'm just giving you. I'm, I'm fire. You've given me work to do. I'm firing it straight back at you. I apologise. Not at all. Yeah. I think so. But one of the I, I, so it was still going on. That was still going on in the. In the mid, uh, the mid nineteen, well, from the mid nineties until basically the mid nineties, that's the way it was done, and you were still doing, you know, three or four week recies. But of course, it was only an eight, an eight champ, an eight uh, event championship at that time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, so so that was that was the difference. Um, although I don't think twelve events is not that much more, and this. This this desperation of drivers not to be in the country, um, and um, I find a little bit a little bit galling. I'm galled by that. I don't I don't begrudge them what they do at all. I don't begrudge them what what their opinion is. Totally respect that. But um, they arrive in the country. They immediately start wrecking. They might do. They might get a day's test. Uh, just prior to the recce, or or they, they might have come in a few days before. Then they go home for two or three days. Then they come back. They don't hit the local restaurants anymore. They don't mm. know all the nice spots. When the rally finishes, they can't wait to get back to their private jets or whatever airline they're they're getting on to get the heck out of Dodge before the event has even you know before the dust has even settled on the event. There's something. There's a big loss, and that loss comes from. The drivers and the teams that's not the events that's not any other circumstance i mean are, are, are they are they working more than those guys used to well i mean armin we, we we would have done eight rallies you were probably the better part between the testing you did and the rallies i'll bet you were eight eight and a half months on the road for a driver back in the the, the mid wow. mid to late 80s early 90s I guess, I guess you'd go so. Down I mean, to New Zealand, th- same thing. You'd go down for a test. You you would hang around and wait for the recce to be starting. If it was a two week recce, you did the two, the full two weeks. If it was the, um, if it was the, um, if it was a three week recce, you'd be there for three weeks. You would just do as much as you could. There was no limited number of passes. You decided what you were going to do mm. within the time scale. The, the thing about rallying back then as well is is. So all of that was was quite visible, wasn't it, George? Because pe- people would go and watch testing and, and 
people would see that yeah. what the drivers were up to. Now we don't see really how the drivers are prepping for events. You know, yeah. we're not seeing them in the, the hotel whole, rooms. What, the whole watching thing videos, was a we, celebrated we event, that. basically, and it was brilliant. You know, for you know, if we speak to some of our older listeners, they'll they'll tell you about their experiences. You know, following the event as it hit the country and and. You know, managing to strike up conversations with mechanics and teams, many of them ending up with jobs in teams, of course, um, which is basically how most pros became pros. They were keen amateurs, got a contact with a team. Um, somebody saw the virtue in what they what they were as 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 uh, contributors, and they ended up working for a team. How many Kiwis and Australians, Finns? You know, the, the, there's no there was no factory rally teams in Finns, but Toyota was filled with Finns. You know. Yeah. We're not filled with Finns, but we had four or five fantastic mechanics, <laughs> Swedish mechanics. It's all down to, you know, people just uh, interfacing and contacting and, okay, a little bit of who you know for sure, but but that's just a matter of cultivating the, the opportunity. Fantastic. Um, and, that's, and that's what people did. You know, I remember in Portugal going to... to restaurants and you'd see the same people every night in the same restaurant that you're in you're thinking that's a bit strange that person's and they were just there they were people watching they were watching the drivers eat or the teams eat or whatever and it was lovely and you, you know you would speak to them and it was it was nice and friendly so that, that that i feel that's a massive loss for drivers you know perhaps that's why that's why you know Kali Rovenpera is so jaded and that he feels he needs to stop because actually it's just a little machine. You know, he eats in the so he arrives in the country, he immediately starts wrecking, he 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 gets back from his day's wrecking, he goes into the hotel, his co-driver prepares the pace notes. Half an hour later, half an hour later, they are um they are in uh, they're in their room looking at videos, which I yeah. totally respect that. Not not decrying that at all. That's a fabulous the the, the refinement in the in the pace notes now is immense. It's pro- but, probably not quite as fun as uh, being if, out testing or, or, or wrecking as much as you I, want now, is it? Categorically, I think I think so. If if you allowed three weeks recce, they would do their three weeks recce, their pace notes would be amazing, but still every night they would be in the, they would be now doing uh, they would now be doing video video yeah. checking. Yeah, which we is can't. a great tool. I'm always surprised that that's not stepped up a gear. I, I would suggest that video recce, brilliant, but you need a perspective to catch it and the perspective you get from doing multiple passes of the stage. So how could you get that with video? It's pretty obvious to me. 3D video, which would not be hard, um, it exists. So why would you not do it? And then you do a bit hard for the co-driver to write in correct notes right enough when he's wearing a virtual headset. <laughs> But maybe he doesn't have to wear it. It's just the driver that has to wear Get it, and the co-driver can just look. Yeah, yeah. So that would I can we've worked it out. It, it would work. I, I think that could be a massive benefit. Another problem go. solved. I'm, I'm ready. More abstract. Another problem solved by dirtfish. By dirtfish. No, no, no. Uh, by George, you take all of the credit for that. <laughs> oh well, it's only you guys that keep me going. George, do you but need George, to answer what, that what call? I, Somebody's very keen to talk to no, you. No, I don't. I don't. I, Are you I, sure? I know that they're driving for for they're driving for a couple of hours, so I keep sending them I can't speak now message, and they keep recalling me. <laughs> um, okay, George, um, James, I know you. Maybe it's the, and you had some questions. Let George, let me ask you, if you were running one of these modern Monte Carlo tests, you've got one day to try and figure out. What exactly you need to test in your car? What, what you want from it? What? How? How are you approaching that one day? Trying to get a car that's going to work in all conditions that we, we don't know exactly what those conditions are going to be. Uh, okay. Uh, the general question is: 
deferred to fabulous engineers. So that's the, they, they will decide how the programme is done. Yes, a lot of people will have an input. Your, your lead engineer, your chief engineer... Uh, will already have all the hard work on figuring out what we need to test, how we should do it, etc. But it's the it's the what to target. So that these days is done uh, very mechanically and very very thoroughly, using weather records and uh, and weather forecasts to figure out. Well, okay, it's looking like it's just going to be wet, so all we're going to be able to test is wet. We'll bank on that, we'll test the car for wet and we will have to make a contingency set up for, for snow and for dry asphalt. Um, but in a day, how do you get multiple conditions in a day? Well, you might get it. If you, if you choose your test road really cleverly, you can maybe get it. But judging by the comments we've seen the last few years, nobody gets it. Mm. So it's just a question of knowing your car categorically, engineers, uh, having the drivers completely on board with what you're doing so that they are happy and they're and they're they understand the drive that's the biggest thing of all you can do these days is make sure that everybody is is absolutely uh, uh, directed off the same play card you know the game card has to be the same everyone has to understand the value and the direction of what we do so that nobody's feeling like they're starting behind the eight ball and i, I say that with a, and all our listeners will undoubtedly listen to WRC all the time and you hear drivers telling you that Thierry's my favourite because he's always saying, oh, we didn't have a good test, we didn't get the right conditions. Well, yeah, but actually you will have had conditions that would have given you a brilliant test in this. So you've got to bracket off that using your knowledge. And he's got now eight years in Hyundai. It's eight years he's got in Hyundai ten, or is it ten nine? Years. And he's just just ten years, my goodness. So she's got a wealth of experience at that factory level. He should know how to balance and direct a car left and right. I think he's possibly a little bit lacking in that, in, in terms of how he approaches it. Not not I mean certainly not lacking in any driving school. Get I mean anybody that listens knows my, my opinion of Terry is very high. But he does seem to get quite easily unsettled by that. Whereas Cali Rovenpera, um Seb, Seb, Oji, they, they don't get upset by that. They just deal with it. I'm Kellen Koshal and I just did my first Dirtfish course, which was the one day women's course. My biggest surprise was how calm it could be in the car and the calmer I was, the faster I could make the car go. The surprising thing about driving was that it wasn't necessarily a mental thing. I had to really get out of my head and into my body more and I just felt a little more comfortable doing that for the first time around a group of women. But I will say, I do feel like I could do any of the Dirtfish courses now. I kind of know what to expect. And, you know, hopefully more women get into motorsports and then any day could be an all-women's day if just enough of us are in the sport. If I were talking to someone who was thinking about taking a class but was kind of on the fence, it would be, you know, what are you waiting for? It's such a fun experience. Um, you're gonna really learn something and you're gonna push your limits and maybe you'll even have some more confidence. There is significant change in the way that testing plays out now. And, and one day is, for me, with Monty, it does seem really difficult to test all of the surfaces, all of the conditions that you're going to mm. get. And and actually, it's impossible. You know, the one thing that some of the teams do is is look for a low road um, in, the, <clears> in the morning, perhaps, where you could get rain or sunshine, but you're not going to get so much snow and ice. And then... <coughs> excuse me obviously move to a higher altitude potentially even on the same road 
uh, and essentially just go further up the mountain in the afternoon where you can get snow and ice. But, it, you know, George, these the teams, they do have, okay, it's the cars evolve year on year, but they do have a big mm. bank of data, don't they? You look at a team like M Sport, they've, they do. they've been doing Monte Carlo since, well, certainly since 97 um, as the factory Ford team. Um, but going back, you know, Malcolm Wilson was was there in in the eighties with a with a six R four. These teams yes. have a huge amount of knowledge, don't they? And they, they do. They can they call do. on that. Yeah, and and and, and M Sport certainly did on their debut with the the Puma. Mm. They won. Yeah. Mm. No, exactly. And and, that, exactly. and and what was it? Seb Loeb had done hardly any testing in that car yeah. at all. We literally come from Dakar. He made no changes yeah. to the setup yeah. and, at all. And and that, you know, for me, moving now onto, onto drivers, you know, we've seen down the years that drivers can make a difference. Um, and Sebastian Ogier is obviously looking, chasing his, his 10th win mm. uh, in Monte Carlo, which is just a, a phenomenal uh, achievement. If, you know, nine wins is, is record-breaking, but 10 would be quite extraordinary. Um, the one that kind of uh, sort of surprised me, I don't know if surprised is the right word, George, is, is the, the number that, I mean, Tommy did four straight, didn't he? Um, he did, and, yes. And that, you know, Monty would never... Tommy McEnan had that same kind of aura and that same kind of reputation, if you like, as Colin McRae, that, you know, he had a lot of wins, not so many second places. Um, mm. it, how did you tune that that Tommy kind of mentality into becoming a Monty winner? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I certainly can't, can't take any credit in that at all. I, I was there for uh, two of Tommy's Monte Carlo wins, so that's that's a that, that was an absolute privilege. Mm. Uh, the last one with Mitsubishi and the the first one, well, the, the one with with Subaru. Um, so that was that the one was that the one that Sebastian Loeb won. Really, is that the one? Nah. Uh, no, no, no. Sebastian Sebastian Loeb didn't didn't win it. He 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 had a ten minute penalty. Um, Who got him that penalty, for, George? Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a very wily team manager got on that one actually. Who um, I oh, mean, honestly, dear. I mean, talk about Sherlock Holmes. But um, yeah, that was that was that was. I mean, in terms of a, you know, not not overly proud of the fact that, that, that I did it in, in some ways, but, you know, because Seb's such a lovely guy, but Seb never had any problem forgiving me for that, he understood um, but but um, uh, you know, but, you've, got to, you've got to stay alert to but that was, Monte Carlo still just, a, just to, just to, just to, to jump in, just to jump in George, mm. I'm sorry, we've got to quantify that Seb did indeed oh, forgive right. you because actually you flew down to meet him in where was it Nice, and you offered him millions and millions and millions of pounds to come and drive for for Subaru. So yeah, he was. It was actually it was actually it was actually his hometown. Was it? That's a, yeah. That's, we flew down to his hometown. An, yeah, another great we, great story. So yeah, I would forgive yeah, you if you offered yeah. me millions and millions of pounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but he'd forgiven <laughs> me long before that because he's just such a, a fabulous guy. So back to Tommy um, and, and Monty. I mean, it was certainly it's not 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 personal. Tommy and Monty. I mean, Tommy uh, David Lapworth described it very well. Said that Tommy's basically got built in, built in um, anti skid control. You know, he's he's got he's got traction control built into built into his body his right foot was so sensitive he could he could take a, a where where Tommy always won the Monte Carlo rally was on the on the stages that were tricky that are icy and horrible and it was a big call on what to do for tires and Tommy always took a bold tire choice and he nearly always um uh, got through 30 seconds quicker than anyone else or 40 seconds quicker than anyone else yeah so it was pretty pretty special what he could do 
Um, it, it does pretty spectacular, I think. It does um, demand a certain sort of driver. You, again, you look at someone like Walter Rohl, who just was a great thinker, wasn't he? And you know, it's no yep. surprise that he had a great Monty record. Mm. Yeah, to- Tommy's Tommy's nose for understanding tires, options, and then how to drive those was. I think second to none that I worked with. He was absolutely supreme on that. Very, very clever like that. Didn't always make the best tactical decisions at times, um, which was evidenced in his loss of the championship in uh, 2001 because he, he all he basically needed to do was score something like um, was it eight points in the latter half of the year and he didn't manage to do that. He kept trying to win events. If he'd finished two second places, he would have he would have been champion, and he was incapable of doing that. Three thirds, he didn't manage to do that. He just kept throwing it off. They were all trying to win events at that time. You know, it was it was Richard, it was Colin, Tommy, Yuha was still around, Carlos, of course. So everybody was just trying to win. It was just an absolute flat out blast. Ta- tactics were something that were. Boring and uninteresting. Those guys just like to drive fast. <laughs> Evidenced by Colin's spectacular career. And George, George, just going back to you talking about Tommy being very intelligent with his tyre choices. How how did the choices that drivers had di- uh, differ back then to, to what we've got now? Because obviously we've got limited choices now, but back then a lot more yeah, well, flexibility. You had a massive choice of tyres by comparison. I mean, I remember those first Monte Carlos we went to uh, each service van had a, we had a 10 ton tire truck with us. <laughs> yeah. And wow. Which was, you know, which was three quarters filled with tires. So we would have, so we'd have three rally cars and we would have three or four different types of slicks. We'd even have micro grooved slicks. So they, they, they basically sliced them with a razor. They looked like a slick, but, but when you turned a corner, it would move and, and, and give some grip. Um, they were all sliced like that. Um, then you had then you had uh, wets, intermediates, uh, snow tires, uh, ice tires, much much softer. And then you had then you had tires. So then you had the slicks. You had slicks that were ice slicks. They were unbelievably soft. I mean, you probably had you could maybe have a choice of ten tires at any one stage. And they had. And that was that was ten tires for three cars. A choice, but there was, and, a, and you would change every stage. I remember George as well. Wow. There were there were in terms of the studs. Even when I was covering the the Monty, yeah, half you, studded, you full have, studded, but and yeah. then you could have studs on the inside shoulder, the outside shoulder. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's, all those things. Yeah, you you'd put them on the inside shoulder if it's if it's if if there's just some icy bits. Mm. So when there's no traction, the inside stud will 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 get a grip. But when you start to push it. The tire shoulders over, and you get the grip from the outside. Yeah, it was great technology, a fantastic time. Um, but you know, you would you would probably. I mean, I'm not sure what the numbers were, but I would imagine you could have easily have four, five, six thousand tires for one team. Yeah, yeah, you would need to, wouldn't you? Yeah. Just to, in, you know, in yeah, case yeah, the conditions yeah, went had that in one direction. So we would have, yeah, we would have six or seven, maybe even eight service groups on Monte Carlo because you're servicing before and after every stage so obviously after the stage it might just be an emergency service mm. depending on but, but sometimes you would you would have your main service there and then you would just drive to the start and have a fuel top off and whatever just depended on the length of the road sections did you use helicopters um, George? you would warm 
the, we never used helicopters at that time. I think Lance Air did. You yeah. Know, back in the back in the late eighties, early nineties, we didn't. There's nowhere to land in Monte Carlo. You know, you're at the side of the road. You're you know, you're just on a cliff basically. Yeah. I I, um, I can. There wasn't a lot of option. I can definitely tell you that there was, there was only ever one journalist who would have been at the end of every stage, and one journalist who could keep across every single tire choice to the absolute nth degree without fail and that was mr david williams I, he absolutely yeah. adored the monte carlo rally uh yeah. it, it just you know he he always preferred tarmac rallies anyway not that he would ever admit to it mm. um but yeah it was it just the whole aura of the thing uh it, it yeah. has such it a is, mystique it was, it was an it was an amazing experience and it mm. still is the event where a smart team will win uh, yeah. Great driver, yes, but a smart team, a, a team giving the driver all the opportunities, all the right information. What does the driver want and need? He's a, he's a driver that's really, really clever with tyres, so he really needs great ground information. You know, he needs ground temperatures, we need yeah. ground conditions. You don't need to throw tyre crews in there or weather crews in there willy-nilly. Um, you need intelligent people that understand what they're doing. Yeah. I've seen... I've been in teams that had many tyre crews that were, some of them mediocre. Sometimes they were giving you reports they weren't even in the right place, to be honest. It was very disappointing. But that is, um, <clears throat> for me, that is where someone like Ogier really scores. You know, he was born and brought up yeah. in the mountains and he he understands the weather. You know, he worked as a ski instructor. We, we all know that. And it does bring mm. an understanding of, of, of what the weather's doing, doesn't it? In you know, if the wind is coming from this direction, you know that on that road it's gonna it's gonna mm. equate to this, this and this. And and if there's some moisture there by ten o'clock in the morning when the sun's kinda come up, yeah, you can guarantee that that will have melted or all of that sort of Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I mean there's 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 basic stuff that some teams still seem to miss that shocks me, David. You know, the fact is that, you know, the the, the temperature is still going down, the roads are still starting to freeze uh, up until one hour after sunrise only yeah. then does the temperature mm -hmm. start to level out and come the other way mm -hmm. so you've got gravel crews um, uh, weather crews looking at a stage thinking well that's still just water so and the sun's come up so they go away and they do another bit and they do another bit and they report back that you know at kilometre 6.7 to uh, 8.3 a bit that's known to be quite bad no no it was just water and and their road temperature you know they put, they put a temperature gauge down on it and they say it's you know it's three degrees I, everyone thinks fine mm. and then by nine o'clock it's frozen solid and they're away to the next place yeah you know and the, but the tire but but the you know they've, they've gone that early to make tire choices based on that and they've not got charts and they've not got nice i i used to have road drying indexes road cooling indexes all sorts of good stuff. That's things that I did. These days, it's all done by engineers. I was a team manager, and I did that. Yeah. Um, and, was that and because you wanted I mean, to do that, George, or because you didn't? Not you didn't not well, trust people to. But it was. It sounds very no, much no, up I, your no, alley. No, it's, it's, it, it, it was. It was. Uh, I wanted to, yeah. uh, but it was. It was all part of the competitive element. So I was. I was not driven by any personal desire. I was driven by by. The team's needs, basically the, what the co-drivers are telling me the drivers want, you know? Yeah. Drivers are usually talking to engineers and not really necessarily talking to a team manager so much because I don't give them so much. But on Monte Carlo, Carlos, uh, Didier, Yuha, um, uh, the, um, 
these guys they, they did they did lean to Tommy they did lean into you because you're giving them you know I want to get this and these are the reasons I want to get yes do that George but also not that call do the next call because it's always worse than that one so we know if that one's away that first one will be away so that's the sort of information I gathered and I would go out and I would do a service recce and then I would have my crews going to those points personally briefed made sure they had the map at some points, depending on the team I was in, I actually had little uh, clues. Because I said, can you, can you take me a photograph of such and such and then send me it? Oh, I've not got such a good con connection. What does the road sign? Are you standing at that junction? Yeah, what does the road sign say? Hmm. And then you find out that they can't tell you. Yeah, you're not in the right place, so stop telling me drivel. <laughs> you, know. you could never pull That's the wall over George Donaldson's eyes. Oh, they, well, you I can, can actually, imagine. but I've had it pulled over, which is why which is why I tried to prevent it later. But that's what you're up against, and that's what will we'll scupper a team. Yeah. You know, someone's, someone's mate's brought along because they think it's a jolly, and oh, he's a, he's a great guy, and actually never gets to the right place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's Hopeless. it's remarkable. But what yeah. I mean, great stories, mm -hmm. and, and thank you very much. And more of those to come as we get closer to Monte Carlo next week, or not next week, the week after, but on next week's pod. Mm -hmm. uh, but one thing, James, that we can't ignore uh, is Dakar. It is up and running, started with a prologue on, on Friday. Uh, we're a couple yeah. of days in, or three days in, as, as people uh, listening to this pod does. Just, James, give us a, a brief outline uh, you've written a brilliant preview to to the event on dirtfish.com but just what is uh what's this year's event all about where are we going and and who should people be looking out for as the as the event continues to unfold well we're back in Saudi Arabia David I think it's the fifth fifth edition of Dakar in Saudi now so we, we sort of know what to expect we know the terrain we know the conditions um, but this year there's a, there's a few things that really should make it an absolute all-time classic and probably the biggest thing is just the number of, of factory supported teams involved um you know we've got mm. the, the big news of of, of ford m sport at dakar in there uh, is it the the raptor or the ranger i think it's the, the, the yeah ranger. the ranger it's, it's yep. a truck um i know that much uh and yeah it, a factory supported effort there for ford so it'll be their first first effort so i don't think they're expecting to to challenge for victory it'll be a tough event for them but just fantastic to see you know ford back supporting uh rallying will be in a different uh a different way to yeah we're kind of kind of used to um the big favorites will pro probably will be nasser alatia but he's moved teams this year so he's he's uh, long been a toyota driver but he's now moved over to the pro drive effort um ahead of uh, actually moving again to, to Dacia next year, albeit um, we believe that mm. under the skin that car will be fairly similar to what he'll be driving this year. Um, so Nasser Alti has won, won the event for the last few years, but his teammate Sebastian Loeb has been trying to win Dakar now for, for almost a decade, and he hasn't done it. And there's, there's not many events which Sebastian Loeb has entered nearly 10 times and failed to win. So he's absolutely desperate to finally get Dakar on his very long an illustrious CV. Um, mm. Can't count out Mr. Dakar, Stefan Petterhansel. Uh, the Audi effort, uh, which will be in its last year, I believe, this year, uh, hasn't been particularly successful. They've had a few gremlins uh, in, in their efforts for the last two seasons, but they have had the speed to win stages. Um, of course, his teammates, Carlos Sainz, who's you know, any WRC fan, will be excited to see how he gets on. He's won it a couple of times. Um, Toyota are back. They've got five five drivers in their 
in their Hiluxes. Um, very South African bias. Um, obviously, that team being run out of South Africa, but it's, it's amazing to see just how many South African drivers there are in Rally Raid. It's a real cultural thing in that country. Um, and they've also got the Brazilian, uh, Lucas Marias, who finished third last year in his debut, and he's been promoted to a factory driver for Toyota. So basically, long story short, there's a huge amount of contenders involved. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to know who's going to win, you know, till till a couple of weeks time because anything can happen on the Dakar it's tremendously exciting it's it's mm. 5,000 miles across Saudi Arabia 3,000 of those are, are competitive stage miles it's yeah, just it's a, it's yeah, a it's monster isn't it? Test. It, it it really is but one one man who does know uh that that monster from the inside is is our man Colin Clark and we can just say a quick hello to Colt Colt you are in the field well at this precise moment, I'm not actually in the field. I'm in the media centre, which is a big tent. It's not the biggest tent, because the biggest tent is the catering tent. But the media centre is a big tent. Uh, the impressive thing, though, David, is the number, and George and James, uh, is the number of folk in this media centre. It's absolutely buzzing. It really is. But I have been out in the field. It was out this morning to watch the start of the prologue, and it, it's just spectacular. You've been in this part of the world, David. It is a spectacular part of the world, and... You know, to see such a variety of cars and bikes and trucks and buggies heading off into this spectacular landscape here. Uh, it was wonderful, uh, and I'm really quite enjoying it, even although I'm sleeping in a tent, even although I'm having to use the communal showers and bathrooms. It's still a magnificent experience, and I wouldn't change it for the world. You, you will never complain about... <laughs> did, did I ever complain in the past? But yes. you're quite right, I never... <laughs> I, I, well, I, I actually thought that Colin was responsible for everything in, in, in terms of accommodation. <laughs> oh, <I laughs> there was a couple of times we've had to share a shower between two of us, and that was too much, so you're doing very yeah. well. Well, well, I'm not objecting to it. I'm not objecting to it at all. You just very quickly just get on with it. You get on with it and uh, yeah. you just you make use of what's there. And I have to say, they do a great job in, in providing showers and things and keeping them nice and clean and tidy as much as they can. Um, when you've got two and a half thousand people <laughs> you know, in the desert <laughs> getting covered in sand and get, getting covered in dust every day. I, I will just take you back to Finland last year, Carl when there was a consistent amount of moaning, oh, I can't believe we've only got one toilet. I can't believe that. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Ringing any bells there? Yeah, I thought yeah, so. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, David. Thank you. <laughs> so just very quickly, tell us about your own tent. How big is it? Yeah, listen, last year I made the mistake um, of going for a really high-tech tent, but but it was just too small. I couldn't even fit my bag in it. I had to sleep in the tent, and my bag had to live outside of the tent. Uh, so this year I've gone for a bigger tent. So what I've compromised, I've compromised time. So it takes me a little longer to put it up, but there's loads of space inside. I've even got a porch that I can just shut her off as well. So um, it takes me longer to, take, to put it up, to take it down, but I have a lot more comfort when it is up. So uh, I've got that, but, 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 I've had remarkable tent envy once again as I've wandered around the mm. bivouac and the Pro Drive setup with their bivy tents. Anyone listening in Australia will understand what I'm talking about when I talk about a bivy tent. It's basically off the ground. It's a fantastic mattress with the tent over the top of it. They have offered me one of their bivy tents for the rest of the event. So I am taking that offer up very, very, very kindly indeed. That's very nice. And how's the weather? Is it raining? 
No, no, it rained a lot last year, didn't it? It absolutely chucked it down, and we had a lot of mud and horrible weather and floods mm. last year. It's been gorgeous. Not a cloud in the sky. I think you'd have just about survived, David. 23, 24 degrees. Very, very pleasant. You, too hot for you? Far, far too warm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, dear. <clears throat> oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. Uh, but it's been very pleasant. It really has. It'll get warmer as we go down towards the empty quarter, um, towards the middle of next week, uh, maybe up into the 30s. But it's a nice time of the year to come out here and to, and to rally here. You couldn't rally here. Once you get into end of March, April, May, and then the summer, it would just be way, way too hot. Uh, but right now, it's very, very pleasant. And do you know what else is pleasant? From a rally perspective, so many familiar faces with M Sport here now. You know, David Richards, in the catering tent, it's enormous. It's the biggest tent in the world. I've never seen a tent as big as it. And they do an incredible job. It's it's surely a marquee, not a tent. Yeah, but it's not even a marquee. Marquee doesn't do it justice. I don't know what we should call it. O2 Arena for for those of us in the Yes. Yes, you could you could probably do a concert in there and maybe have an audience of five thousand people. It's that big. Wow. It's that big. Wow. It really is. But maybe not quite that big. But um, I walked in today and it's absolutely heaving. It's a great place. The atmosphere is always great. Loads of people chattering away. Um, loads of people just just laughing and having a bit of uh, a bit of fun and something to eat in the catering tent. And I walked in and there was David Richards with his wife, and there was Malcolm Wilson with Elaine Wilson, and they were greeting each other. And I thought. Wow, you know that is proper royal, uh, rally royalty, and everywhere you look, you know there are rally people here. You know, from the drivers to the mechanics, the engineers, the team bosses, um, it's a very, very, although unfamiliar place for me certainly. It is also a very, very familiar place with all the familiar faces and and voices around the bivouac, and I'm just about getting used to calling it a bivouac. Yeah. Excellent, Colin. Yeah. Well, into the spirit. Don't, don't be coming to Gap and calling Gap a bivouac, will you? <laughs> <laughs> well, David, David, you have permission to slap me if I call it the bivy. <laughs> Regularly. Can you stretch to me coming to Monte Carlo because I really want to slap Colin. <laughs> no, exactly. Right, Colt, we'll let you go. Go and uh, put your tent up or take it down or whatever you're about to do. And thank you very much and, uh, and enjoy. Yes, I will. Thanks, boys. I will keep you up to date with what's going on. It is a lot of fun. It really Standing is. So, um, thanks, boys. Thanks, Have Colin. fun on the, the pod, and we'll talk to you all later. See you, mate. We will keep in touch with Colin across the next 10 days or so uh, as he uh, continues to live out of a tent. Uh, and, chaps, thank you very much, George. Brilliant insight, uh, as usual, as ever. Can't wait for next week and, and more of the same. Uh, and James, again, brilliant questions. And uh, we will uh, reconvene for another edition of Spin the Rally Pod next week. Mm-hmm.